Well, good morning as uh, we celebrate another day together uh, looking at God's Word. You know, last, uh, last week uh, I had some good news. I have some good news to share with you. Our last child has gotten married, and so we're excited about uh, Tim. And, I mean, Tim. Uh, Matt. <laughs> That's what I did in the first ceremony for my kids. I used the wrong names. Uh, and, and it's really good news. It was a good news weekend for us. And it's, you know, when you think about good news, you have to think, well, what is the good news all about? And uh, despite someone's birthday on that particular day, um, the good news was only about Matt and Caitlin. And it's interesting when you perform a ceremony like that, and it's, uh, it's just a great privilege to do so, as they're coming up there, and, and maybe some of the people out there are listening, maybe some of the wedding party as well, but as you look at Matt and Caitlin, I don't know if they heard a word I said, uh, because that day really wasn't about the one performing the ceremony for Matt, it was all about Caitlin, and for Caitlin, it was all about Matt. And, and when you come into a, a place like this, as you think about well, what, what really is this day all about, I, I hope you never miss the, the main point, because in the midst of all the, the, the data, the, the, the points that God has for us in His Word, and this is a pretty big book, uh, really as you think about a, a church, what a church ought to be known for, and what God's people ought to be known for, it, it should be all about Jesus. Now, some of you didn't quite do that enthusiastically, but as you think about uh, what the church today would be all about, and sometimes people ask me, well, can you describe Grace Hills to you? Well, really, what, what's that church like? What's it all about? And, and hopefully, if, before I get into this long sermon, I could simply put it in a phrase, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and really, the good news is it's about Jesus. Now, the reality is, however, we get that, we got, we get that mixed up. And we somehow we miss it. And so sometimes there has to be corrective language given to us so that we understand what does it really mean to believe the good news is all about Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. If you're not sure where Galatians is, you can find the beginning of the New Testament. You have those four stories about Jesus, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and then uh, we get the history of the church, the book of Acts. And then you have the letters... Uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and you get Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and you get these, then you get these little book, books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So right after you find 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you find this little book, six chapters long, uh, a letter, possibly the first letter that Paul wrote after his missionary journey, his first missionary journey, in which Paul has to go back and remind them that the church that they are now experiencing new life in uh, and it's all about the good news that they had heard, but they were missing it because now the good news wasn't all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus plus some other things added. And, and some of you are, are, are great at cooking, and anytime I use a cooking analogy, I'm going to mess it up. But, you know, if you think about a stew or you think about a soup or whatever it might be, you, you can add all kinds of ingredients in it that will enhance the flavor, the main flavor you want to want to express to the people whoever are consuming it. But, but you can add some things to the soup or the stew, whatever it might be, and you can mess it up. And, and that's what was happening in this church. And, and Paul was just heartbroken that he, who was the master chef and had shared with them the simple news about Jesus that radically changed their lives, that had set them free. And uh, for those of you who have been here um, for the beginning of this series, you've all been working on the, the memory verse, right? In Galatians 5.1, and I could call any of you up here just to recite that. Um, <laughs> I have not that much faith. All right, anyway, Galatians 
It's all about, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, as you think about the gospel or the good news, it's all about being set free because of Jesus. And we entitled this series, Set Free to Be Free. And yet somehow, even though they had, they had gotten it from the Prince of Preachers at that day, because Jesus had already ascended into heaven, they had, they had received the message from Paul. Some others had come in and had messed up that which Paul had delivered to them. And so what I want to do, I want to do hopefully a quick review and then get into the material that we haven't quite read into already. But as you think about letters, letters normally are written from the beginning to the end, and usually we dissect them a little bit uh, and put, give you a portion at a time. And there's a reason for that because you know, we don't always understand the setting of what's being written about or written to or, or the things that they were struggling with. But as Paul writes this letter, it's, it's a rather unique letter. It's not like a lot of his letters. Normally, if you're going to gain an audience, you, you, try to, you try to say some things that will just draw them in because of maybe some encouraging things, some positive things you're saying to them, and, and, and they're just delighted to hear what you're about to say because they, they, they feel you really care about them, and, and, and there's a warmth that's been established. Uh, Paul doesn't do this in this letter because as he introduces the things he's going to say, and he says it really briefly, identifies who is writing this letter, then he gets right to the heart of it. And he's amazed at what they had departed from. And so what I want to do today is, is run through a few things just to kind of set the scene again. And, and then look at to why we ought to believe the good news is believable. It, it's one thing to hear the good news. It's another thing to surrender your heart to it. And, and to really realize it is all about Jesus. But have you, have you really gotten in on what Jesus had to say and his demands on your life to, to really trust him and follow him? And so hopefully that's what we're going to try to do as we think about this letter that, that some have summarized it this way. If you look at the book of Romans, which is a larger book than Galatians, it's, it, it's Paul explaining what the gospel is. But in Galatians, he has to look at it from a negative perspective. So I want to tell you what the gospel is not. And sometimes that's, that's the way to determine. Are you, are you believing that which is true? And the only way to really discover that is what, what, what are you believing that is not true? And so that's what Paul emphasizes in this, because they had not believed in that which was going to set them free, what was going to put them back into bondage. And that's the, not the message of Jesus. Jesus, in the familiar words in John chapter 8, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But, but their lives were now more miserable than it was before because they had gone back into that which was in, putting them into bondage spiritually. All right. So with that, let's, uh, let's get into the book of Galatians again, and uh, I want to do a quick review. I want to look at the quick rebuke, and then we want to look at what is the gospel, uh, and also what is the gospel of grace all about, and then why should we listen to the Apostle Paul? So let's, uh, let's try to do that this morning as we look at this powerful letter that some have said, this, this is the letter that changed the face of Christianity during the period of the Reformation. And really these battles that, that were faced back then are the battles we still face today. And in many ways, that's why we're looking at some of the series on, on the cult on Wednesday night. It, is people take that which is true and they twist it. And when they twist it, you, you, you can't really find out what is really true unless you are able to discern what is the essence of the message of this book. So let's look at it in Galatians, beginning of chapter 1 and 
and I'll try not to speak too fast. I, you know, I never think I'm speaking too fast until I listen to myself on tape. I go, oh my, I, how, do these, how do these people put up with me? All right. So let's look at the quick, the quick greeting. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to begin at the beginning, which is always a good place to begin. All right. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he says right off the beginning, the reason you ought to listen to me is this is not a man thing, this is a God thing. Jesus has called me to deliver the message. And he says, all the brethren are with me to the churches of Galatia. And we need to realize that the Christian life is, is not to be ever meant to be lived alone unless it's physically impossible for you to somehow connect with God's people. And so this is a message not only to individuals, but to groups of individuals called the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's always in that order. To get God's peace, you've got to experience His grace, which is His unmerited favor, His, His gift to you. And when you experience His grace, then you can experience His peace. Who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. Sometimes we use words in places like this, or even when we are out there trying to find our faith, and we'll say that Jesus is our Savior. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, in, in other ways to put it, you say he's the one who rescues us. We're going down for the last time, and he comes and, and throws us a lifeline and rescues us from this present evil age, but also the evil within us. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever more. Amen. The word amen, some have described this way, it means let it be, but even more plainly it means this is true. This is true that Jesus is the rescuer. So he introduces himself, gives a quick introduction, and then he goes right into it. And in some ways people say this is kind of a Paul's dark letter. It's, it's, it's got some strong words that, that just start off in the very beginning. In verse 6 he says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Uh, it's so tempting to tell stories about the wedding or tell stories about my family with this. And it's interesting, my kids, which was a great thing for Alice and I, is uh, all three of them gave toasts or gave stories about their little brother, Matt. And some of you have heard this before, but it's interesting, as you, as you think about four children, usually the older Older ones set the example or the model for the younger one. Well, all three of them, is interesting the way they talk about them. I never get emotional, so just, you know, just hold on to me. Okay. <laughs> you know, and they all make reference that when Matt was growing up, they had a, a name for him. He was, he was known as Baby Jesus. Now, the reason he was known as Baby Jesus is because they looked at their lives. They didn't act like Jesus, but Matt did. And, and, and as Matt looked back, he said, well, the reason I didn't act more, and he hated that, that that nickname, all right, um, because he recognized he wasn't Jesus and he did fall short. But he, he looked at their lives, and when they got in trouble, they said, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to get in trouble like they did. Uh, but as you think about it, is, 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 as you look at people's lives, you, you hope that when people learn something or they experience something, that they hold on to it. And as Paul was writing to them, and he, and he did love them, he said, I'm, I'm just amazed that, that what you heard and experienced, now you're departing from it. And what you're departing from is, is a different gospel. Now, there, there's some words in the original language that have some, uh, I guess, 
lines to our English language, and he said, you're, you are, you're, you're following after a heteros gospel. Okay? Now, we know that which is homo, okay, in the sexual area, and we know that which is heteros in the sexual area. The heteros is, is, is you're going after that which is different in quality. Now, and, and, and what, what he's saying there is that, you know, a man and a woman, they're, they're different, distinct, right? And, and what he's saying here, you're falling after that which is different in quality. It's really a gospel that's not the true gospel. And, and, and he goes on the next line and he says this, which is not another. You think, well, it's, just a, it's, it's another way to explain the gospel. No, this is not a, a, another gospel to explain in a, in a clear way to others. This is, this is not that gospel. This is not this message. This is not this good news. And, and many times when we hear people use the same language we do, explaining the message of freedom, the good news of Jesus, and because they use the same words or similar words, we, we think they're, they're, they believe the same things. But he said, no, you're not believing the same things. This will bring you back into bondage because what you're being taught, it's not just about Jesus, it's Jesus plus. And it could be whatever the plus is. And, and so he said, well, it's Jesus plus a certain type of baptism or it's Jesus plus, you know, going to this kind of church or it's Jesus plus following these laws. It's, it's Jesus plus making sure that you're better than the people around you and and you need to understand that the gospel message is that Jesus lived a life you could not live. And he died a death that you should have died. The Bible says for the way to sin is death. To give you a gift that you could not earn. And if anything, we understand that this is a humiliating, humbling message. The gospel, the good news is that God can and God alone can give you that which will rescue you. And they had exchanged that by going back to following the laws of, of man or even the laws of the Old Testament, which was to point out their sin. And so he was just amazed that they were doing this. And, and then he even puts it this way. He says, some who are disturbing you and, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That, that word... Disturbing means they're shaking your world. It's a massive earthquake, but not in a physical way, in a spiritual way, and they're changing everything. They're distorting the gospel. And distorting means that they are taking it and twisting it so much that they are removing that, the essence of it, and, and trying to be convinced of that which is not true about the message of Jesus, giving you the opposite. And then he says this, but even if we... And now he's putting himself in this same equation. Look at if somehow what I told you when you, you first listened to me, and I come back another time and give you a different gospel, not just changing the way I express it, but the essence of the gospel is different. Don't listen to me or anybody else who takes that what you've heard in the beginning and change it. Or he says, not only that, if an angel from heaven to preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, anathema. He is to be devoted to destruction. And when you look at those who have, in our recent history, fairly recent history, if you look at the church of the Latter-day Saints, and we studied this last Wednesday, 
you know, why do they believe what they believe? Because somehow an angel, Moroni, delivered that message. And Paul is saying right here, look, I don't care if an angel tells you this. If they, if they run from that which is clear that's been expressed to you, you run from that message. Or, or, or you take the Islamic faith. You know, look at Muhammad. If you think about where he got the Quran and how he got led into what he believed and taught, it was from the angel Gabriel. Now, there are only two angels named in the Bible. You have Gabriel, and then there's another name. I can't remember what that name is, okay? You have Michael, all right? Those are the only two angels named in the Scriptures. And he said, okay, I don't care if it's from an angel that you've never heard of before, Moroni, or I don't care if someone even tries to be even more convincing. There's an angel in the Bible, and they named an angel Gabriel. Don't listen to that message. You know, when God delivered the message, he didn't stutter. He made it clear. And when we depart from what he's delivered once for all to God's people, don't change it. And then he goes on again, he says, as we have said before, I say again now, in other words, this is going to be on the test, don't miss this, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. And so he said, look, you need to understand that there is good news, and that good news, which is the true news, is to be believed, and you could put in the opposite, that which is not the good news should not be believed, it should not be trusted in. So Paul begins this letter with a quick greeting and a quick rebuke. But I want to take a sidebar, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but okay, so what is the good news? If you were trying to explain it, what is it? And you could put it in a variety of different ways, but let me try to put it this way. It's really all about God, and it's all about you. It's all about God because he's the one who produces the message. He is the message. But it's about you because you need to understand what part you are in this story that God has since the fall of man into sin, in that rescue position of him delivering us from our sin. Well, first of all, we, we got to know about God. God is knowable, and he loves you. The Bible says, and you, and you can take from the Roman road, as some put it, in, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So this is a message that God has delivered to us all for the purpose of all who respond to it. They can enter into a relationship. He is noble. He's not running from us. He's running to us. God's not lost. We're lost. He is finding us. He's noble and he loves us. In Romans 2, 4, it says this. It says in the second part of that verse, it says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And sometimes people's picture of God is up there just looking who he, who he can put his big, um, enormous thumb on, put it on their neck, and just pour out his wrath. The Bible's message is that God, who created us, gave us life, is, is rescuing us out of his great love and kindness. So God is noble and he loves us. Secondly, however, and this is where we get into it, you are separated from God because of your sin. And we've talked about this before, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's many passages we can look at. We'll look at a few others later on. But the reason people distort the gospel and add to the gospel is because they don't really understand the nature of sin. 
the sin before God is that we are desperate. There is nothing that we can do to measure up. You know, we, we all... We all at times have received gifts, and, and, and you can really offend the person who gives you a gift when you say, well, could, can I pay for that what you just gave me? And particularly how expensive that gift was, you, there might be absolutely no way you could, even, you could even think about doing it. And that's what it is here. There, there's no way to, for you to throw a few pennies down for that which is priceless. There is no way that we, any of us could do anything to measure up because of our own sin. So we have a message that God is noble and he loves us, but our sin separates us from him. But, but here, here's the point here, is that God showed up. God the Son, Jesus, fully paid for the penalty. And if you were going to add a word that I don't have a fill in the blanket, he fully paid the penalty for all of our sins. Now, I add the word fully because we need to understand that that's the gospel. If you miss it here, for some to say, well, yeah, he, he died for my sins, but... Maybe not all of them. Maybe my past sins, but what my present sins and my future sins. You need to recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place, he paid fully the penalty for our sins. And not only just some of our sins, for all of our sins. And if you don't believe that part of it, then you're going to have a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. It's a totally false gospel. God the Son, Jesus, fully paid for how many of our sins? All of our sins. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then finally, what, what, you know, so we got, we got God in the program, we got our response, understanding that we are sinners, and then finally, what do we, what do, we do? We must repent and believe only in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this is where many who, who miss it, miss it right here. It's not believing in Jesus and then whatever else you want to add to that list. It's believing in Jesus only as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9, if you confess your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not Jesus plus your church, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus your good works, Jesus plus whatever you want to add to it. It's Jesus alone. Well, I want to take just a moment here to say, well, why is the gospel good news? What makes something good news? And here's one way to put it. Good news is that which is necessary, I mean really good news, and that which is helpful. You know, there's some things it's good to hear about, and it's nice, and it's, it's intriguing. But what is really good news? It's that which is necessary and that which is helpful. Well, if you put it in a, from a physical perspective, uh, how many have ever gone to a doctor you know, if you ever had anything go wrong and you're wondering, well, what's going wrong, okay? And one of the more disturbing things, if you've got something going wrong and you go to the doctor and they can't find out what's the problem. Anybody, anybody had that? Some of you know that about a year ago I was working out 
not working out that hard, but I was working out, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I collapsed, okay, and uh, fell on my head and knocked myself out. Never had that experience before. And, and uh, you know, we got to the doctor, woke up. I had no idea where I was at. That was a new experience. And, and, and so they, they did tests on me for, for one month. And, you know, I had to have this heart monitor on me and all kinds of things like that. Well, you know what happened at the end of that one month? Nothing. They had no idea what went wrong, okay? Now, um, in some ways, that could be good news. Maybe there's not anything that bad going on in my, in my life. But, but no, I was hoping for something. Can you explain what was going on? Now, some of you, uh, you know, you're going in, you're, you're praying and hoping that what you think it might be, it's not going to be that. But, it, but if you have cancer, you, you want to know what's, what's going on. Because if you have, if you have cancer, then you were looking, is there a solution for it? And the good news here is that the Bible says his message, his gospel, is he identifies what the problem is and is a humbling identification because the problem is you. Or to make it more personal since I'm preaching, the problem is me. If you want to, if you want to look at... If you want to look at the problem, just look in a mirror, and, and you look in that mirror. Every time you look in the mirror, the, the problem is you. And, and until we realize that, we'll never get on the solution, right? We'll look some other place. And again, the, some of you are turning the page. I'm not done yet, all right? All right. <laughs> the Bible describes it in such graphic ways. Isaiah 64, 6 says, you know, and this is, this is an amazing passage. It says, for all of us have been unclean. Now, that's in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you know, that is when they would have something physically wrong with them, leprosy or whatever, and somehow they might infect the rest of the population. They would have to go around, and every time they were close to someone, they had to have to yell out what? Unclean, <laughs> unclean. And, and, and then he applies that principle not to, to some physical disease. He's talking about a spiritual disease, and he says, for all of, all of us are, have become unclean, even our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's a couple of word picture there, but I'm not going to give you that word picture there. But take the best that we do before a holy God is filthy in his eyes. And if you ever struggle, why, why could they say that about even when we do good things? Is, have you ever examined your motive sometimes when you do something that's pretty nice, pretty good? Usually there's mixed motives, right? You're hoping, if I do this, maybe they'll like me more. If I do this, I can get an advantage, whatever it might be. And, and so even when we do that which is good, it still falls short of, of doing it, doing that which is right for the right reasons. And Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 says this. Our heart is more than deceitful than all else. Desperately sick. And who can understand it? So the Bible's pretty clear there. So look at, and it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not complicated. The problem that arose for us to have to experience the good news and believe it is that we are the problem. That our sin needs someone to rescue us from it. Now you can flip the page. <laughs> now what is the solution? Now if you were listening to me from the very beginning, I hope none of you dozed off. The message of the church, the message of this book, the message of what Christians should be all about, the message is all about Jesus, right? So it's pretty, pretty simple. What's the problem? We're the problem. What's, what's the solution? Jesus. 
But then as we think about that, we go, well, well how, do I get, how do I get in on it? And here's where we understand, though the message is simple, there is some definitive things about it that we, we don't just use the name Jesus and don't understand who he is and what that represents. Who is he? What did he really do, and how do I get in on it? Who is Jesus? Well, we're not going to have time to go through all a number of passages, but, but Jesus is God. In John chapter 8, 58 and 59, it says that he has this conversation with the, the religious leaders, and they're struggling with who he is, and he's saying he's greater than Abraham, and he, he said, well, before Abraham was, I am. And really what he claimed there, right there, is that, that he was eternal. And if Jesus is God, he would have to live before anybody in the past, right? And whenever he did that, said things like that, they'd pick up stones to kill him. And as we think about Jesus, Jesus is fully God. And the Bible is very plain. There's only one God. And so in the triune expression of God, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is fully God. And if somehow you believe in Jesus, but he's just a religious leader, he's just a profound teacher, then you've missed it. Jesus did not leave us with that option. As, as C.S. Lewis said, either, either it, Jesus is who he claimed to be or he's far from it. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, a liar, in the sense, he knew he wasn't God, but said he was. He's a lunatic. He thinks he's God. He's crazy. Or he is the Lord. So who is, who is Jesus? He's not, the, he's not the, the spirit brother Lucifer. He's not some emanation, someone lower than God, as Jehovah's Witnesses perceive. He isn't just a great master teacher that the Islamic world believes. He claimed to be God. Secondly, what did he really do? There's a great passage in Colossians I want to look at real quickly. In Colossians, what Jesus did is he completely dealt with our problem. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 says this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... And really, those are pictures saying this. Look, at, as you think about us, we, we are the walking dead. I'm not talking about the show. Okay? We're the walking dead spiritually here, before, apart from Jesus. And when we were dead, far from him, separated from God, uncircumcised in the flesh, we, we don't have God's mark in our life. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, being nailed to the cross. So picture this. As you think of anything you've ever done or will do that offends God, that breaks any of his commandments, that keeps you short of who he is, and you list them all, Jesus nailed it on the cross, and when you put your faith in him, he stamps it, Paid in full. He cancels out the debt. You owe him nothing anymore in relationship to your sin because Jesus paid it all. So who is Jesus? He's God. God in the flesh. What did he do? He came to deal with that which separates us from God, our sin. And he did it completely. 
paid it in full, canceled out that certificate of debt of crimes against a living God. Well, how do I get in on it? Now, now here's, where, here's where we can struggle at times. We get on it by God's grace, and we experience that through faith. It's not something we can do. I, I didn't quote that passage, but in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. You can't work. You can't pay for someone else's gift, particularly because there, there'd be no way to even get close to its, its priceless nature. And, and so we're saved through grace, by, by grace through our faith. And we are not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. In other words, because of our love for him, we do it. Not because we, we pay back. It's because out of our heartfelt relationship with him, out of love, we want to live for him. And it's so expressed in a wedding ceremony. As you think about, you know, as I was looking at Matt and Caitlin, you know, I didn't have to lecture them about what they ought to do for each other in that moment. Because you could see they were so in love with each other, they're trying to outserve one another right now. And now we're praying that continues, right? But when you're in love, you'll, you'll do anything for the person you love. And, and that's how it is with God. For we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand in, in advance for us to do. But not out of obligation, but because out of love. And so we've got to make a commitment. Jesus said this, and it was in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, recorded there as well as some of the other Gospels. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we say, look, I'm exchanging my life for your life. And isn't that really what happens in a wedding ceremony? You have two people who are independent. They can do whatever they want. But when they decide that they're going to make that I do statement, they put their faith in the person that they are getting married to. I'm freely giving you my life, and in exchange, you're giving me your life. And that happens with the living God when we trust him to surrender ourselves to him. The Bible says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's trusting enough in the good news to give our lives completely and fully to him. Well, is the gospel of Christ believable? And here's, we're going to run through the, the rest of Galatians, the first chapter. So as Paul is writing this, you, 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 have, you have those who are in the, in, in the weeds or in the dark shadows trying to say, look, at, you, you, you can't believe the apostle Paul. I mean, what makes him more authoritative than us? Well, why, why should you follow what he told you? Don't want you to listen to us. Don't you think you ought to be doing things to somehow marry your relationship with God and and so Paul just gives them his credentials. And when you listen to someone, eventually you have to say, well, is whatever they're telling me, do I, I believe their message because I believe the messenger? Isn't that true? If, if, I don't care if you're, usually we kind of, we get on lawyers and we get on used car salesmen. You know, if you go to a used car, car lot, if you know the person there and you trust the person there, then when they tell you about that car that has a history then you're more likely to buy that car, right? Because you trust, you trust the salesperson. And, and what, what he's saying here, like, you, you can trust what I have to say to you, and, and he gives some of his credentials here. And first of all, he said, look, I want you to understand that 
that I am not here, like many people are trying to say to you, that I'm, I'm here to, to somehow get something out of you. And he says in verse 10 this. He says, Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would then not be a bondservant of Christ. And really what he's saying here very simply, you can believe me because I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not a people pleaser. Now, that's an idle thing to say, but if you know Paul, which they knew of, they looked at Paul's life and they were like, you know, now that he's become a person that's changed completely from where he used to be, has he, has he experienced an easy life? I mean, is he doing things when he says things and all, all they do is give him applause and he never has any heartache or, or, or struggle because of, of people's reaction to his message? He, he didn't come to, to please people. He came to set people free. And then he goes on in verses 11 and 12, and really what he does here, he says, I want you to understand that this message is not one I made up. This came directly from Jesus. This wasn't even from an angel. This was from the true source. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I didn't get it from an angel. I didn't get it from other people. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we have names for people in the Bible. You know, some have titles, some are just people living life. But when we talk about Paul, we, we often put his title to it. He's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle simply means sent one, and there were certain sent ones that were just missionary leaders in churches. But as some write about it, they say Paul has, he's an Apostle with a capital A. And the reason he had a capital A, because exactly what he said, here, look at, I got this directly from Jesus. And if you know his testimony from Acts chapter 9, I mean, he got, he got taken off his donkey, hit the ground, and what happened there is that Jesus revealed himself fully and completely to him. And because he wanted them to understand, the message really is all about Jesus. And I encountered Jesus face to face. But you could be thinking, well, well, maybe that's just a story. Well, then he goes on and again says, look, I want you to understand, this is not from me, this is from Jesus directly. And then in verses 13... And 14, we have the reasons why we ought to believe that this really happened to Paul because his life was powerfully changed. For you've heard of my former manner of life in, in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, having been more extremely zealous for my ancestral tra traditions. Why should you believe that my message came from Jesus, that I encountered Jesus? Look at the dramatic thing that happened to me. And he had one of those dramatic stories, but you look at it, he, he, was, he was a murderer. He had murdered, at least in approval, of Stephen, who had pre preached the message of Jesus. Not only that, he became a persecutor of the church. And not only that, you, you could describe him in contemporary language, he, he was a religious terrorist. He was an imprisoning God's people. He was defaming not only Jesus, but everyone who followed after Jesus. And then something happened. How, how, how do you explain it? How do you rationalize Here, Here's a person who hated everything about Jesus and his message and everyone who followed him. And now he was changed. And, and you could look at all those who they were listening to and their lives had not been changed like Paul had been changed. 
He, he can be trusted. And, and this is why our testimony, when we come to know Jesus, whether it's dramatic or not dramatic, hopefully you can point to things in your life where you say, you know, this is what I was like before I became a Christian, and this is what my life is like now that I've become a Christian. And here are the things I'm still wanting to be like Jesus more. And you can simplify it this way. How do you really know if, if Jesus is in your life? One of, the, one of the more direct ways you can understand it, has, has, he, has he changed the things you want to do? Paul was doing all these things trying to persecute the church because he felt he had to do this because if he did that, somehow God would be pleased with him. Now he had a different message. He knew God was pleased with him. And now what God had done, he had changed his want-tos. Why do you do what you do? Hopefully you've come to the place in your life where you recognize that you're not on this perpetual treadmill trying to run as fast as you can to some hope that, that God might like you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do to get, make God love you more. And, and what demonstrates that you know that you've got God living within you is you want to do that which pleases him. Not because you feel like you have to, but because you want to. So he said, just look at my life where I was. Philippians 3 and 1 Timothy 1. We don't have time to go through that. But Paul says, look, at my life was all about this, and now it's all about him. The things I look back, I consider that rubbish compared to knowing God and making him known to others. 15 through 17. Paul goes on trying to convince him to listen to him. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And so basically what you're saying there is, look at, you might say, well, how did this all happen? And what was the time frame here? And are you sure you weren't somehow... Uh, persuaded by clever other people that, that brought you into this conviction that you now are trying to share with us? He said, look, at, I, I want you to understand, I give all credit to God, all glory to God. And, and in fact, I want you to understand, and, and Paul was an intelligent man. He, he was a debater of, 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 of truth. He said, I, I, the reason I'm a follower of Jesus is not because I'm the smartest man in the, in the room, though he probably was most of the time the smartest man in the room. The reason I'm following Jesus is because God reached down and grabbed me. I give all credit and glory to God. And, and, and that's a person you can, you can listen to because they're not trying to make them something more than they are. And the message about Jesus is really all about Jesus. And if somehow you're listening to someone it's not about Jesus, and sometimes we can tell by how they communicate their message, and beware of that. And Paul went away for three years. Now, look, at this isn't a man-made message. I, I went away, and God confirmed that truth to me. God called me, not man. Then finally, I want you to understand, however, I, I'm telling you this is all a God thing, but I want you to understand that there were others who confirmed what happened to me. Verse 18 through 24. Then three years later, kind of his seminary experience, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's his Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, 
And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he now tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. What is he appealing here? He said, look, again, I was gone for three years. This was not a man-made message. I came back. I got affirmed by Peter and then by James. And I wasn't well known to the other churches, but when I went there, they, they recognized, oh, this is the one who is the, the religious terrorist, and his life is completely changed. And they didn't get credit to Paul. Look how great a man Paul is. They began glorifying God because of what Jesus had done in him. So what's the point this morning? What's the so what? It, it really is about good news. Good news that, that is so good, it, it, it's just... It's just life-changing. And the question for us is, is your good news all about Jesus? Or if, if, we were, if we were friends of Paul, would he have to write you a letter and say, look, I'm so amazed that you've departed from so quickly from that what you've learned and what you experienced in Jesus? Or, or, or would, he, would he have to go over the, the, the clarity of the gospel? It's, it's all about God loving you and He's knowable, and you can respond to him. But it's your sin that separates you. And you need to recognize you can't, you can't do anything to earn your salvation. you just got to fall on your knees and trust the one who came for you. What do you have to reestablish the reason why you ought to believe what he is saying is true? And would, could you come to the point where you recognize it is really all about Jesus, the one who changes everything? That's the message of the church that knows Jesus. That's the message of each follower of Jesus. I want people to know it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, really, it's, uh, it's so easy to use those words, but sometimes we can be so far from that which is true about those words. And Father, I would pray for anyone here this morning that, that maybe has heard the message of Christ so many times and yet have never, has never crossed that line to put their full trust and confidence in the one who came and fully paid the penalty for all of their sins. If there's anyone here this morning that is on the outside looking in, might they today in the quietness of their heart say, Dear Jesus, I trust in you and you alone. I believe that you died fully for my sins, which separates me from you. I want to know you. Come into my life and change you from the inside out. Father, when we pray that prayer and really mean it, then, then you do the miraculous and you make us a new person in Christ. And Father, for us who, who know you, might, might we really all be about Jesus? Might we deliver his message clearly and powerfully with compassion and love, being your agents, helping the Lord Jesus rescue people from the penalty and power of their sin? Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ to live the life you've always intended us to live, ones that honor you and please you, that you change the want-tos in our heart to deliver a life that pleases you. And we praise in Christ's name.